0: changing reality where we bend reality all across the world only on WQHS radio so hi everyone and welcome to another episode of changing reality so welcome on welcome all if this is your first time watching and you do not know what changing reality is changing reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life are in essence changing their own reality. So my name is Harsha and I'll be your host for the show and throughout this show you'll be hanging out as we interview amazing people from social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners to even artists, musicians, inspiring individuals, thought leaders and many more from all across the world and many of whom you may have heard of from the Pan campus as well. So through hearing these inspiring stories on how these phenomenal people are not only changing their own lives, but changing the lives of those around them, hopefully we'll pick up little tidbits of success or some secrets on how we too can implement these uh, amazing words of wisdom in our day-to-day life and figure out how we can leave our mark in the world through a way that we are passionate about as well and i'm someone who truly believes in the power of stories i wanted to do this show simply because i feel like there are so many game changers out there brilliant minds who are making waves in the lives of those around them and i'm passionate about hearing not just how they did that but the story behind the scenes of how they actually came to be the people that they are because many times we see success as something that is so far away so hard to achieve but many times the stories of how these amazing people started maybe all we need to unlock the next step in our own journey. And just to show you how passionate I am about the power of stories, I actually personally founded and run a youth movement back home um, in Malaysia where I'm from called Ascendance, which works with not just the Malaysian Ministry of Education, but organizations across 28 countries to help provide an alternative education platform for any student out there who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, and projects that help them discover what they love doing. go out and learn about themselves and the real world through real life experiences working with top executives startup owners and much more and come back and create for themselves meaningful careers that not just help them achieve goals that they are passionate about but help the people around them too and to date we've been fortunate to work with over 35,000 students in over uh, 970 communities across these 28 countries and have incubated countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises run by students aged 8 to 25 years old So helping everyday students change their reality. And all of this has been possible because of kind individuals who actually come on board, share their experiences, work with these kids and truly are honest and vulnerable about the things that have made them who they are. And just like that, I hope this show gives you the same platform so that you guys, our audience here today can take back some of this information and see how it can change your life as well. So if you have any questions about the show, if there's anything you want to hear about, if there's any topics that you want to cover, do drop it in the show chat below, and we'll take as many as we can and get to them as fast as we can as well. So on to today's speaker, we have someone who is absolutely, truly, truly phenomenal. And if many of you are like me and um, maybe watched TV once or twice when you were kids, you may have recognized it. Or if you're a student at Penn who um, who also uh, has been recently on the campus going to some of the events you may have actually heard him speak at the wharton campus as well so today's speaker is none other than an actor author journalist and much more he's currently a financial news reporter for insider formerly business insider covering wall street and investment banking culture and among his most recognizable credentials, he as an actor, he actually uh, acted on the number one Nickelodeon sitcom by Carly, and it's been featured on its hit off uh, Simon Cat, and also its remake. So if you guys remember the amazing character Neville from the show, well, he's he actually the actor behind the scenes who brought the character to life. Other than acting, he's actually the author of a cookbook, Cool Bites, 100 Nutritious, Delicious and Family Friendly Dishes, that was endorsed by President Clinton in a quote printed on the front cover as well. And he has actually uh, done so much as a celebrity chef, actor, as a young, as a youth, and, and went on to actually have an amazing career, inspiring so many other youngsters just like me watching at home from TV. And today, he actually is a journalist. He's worked at some of the top um, news centers that you may have heard of, such as BBC Radio. Uh, he was a con- uh, contributor on other places as well, uh, from Huffington Post to even CNN. And today, um, he also uh, is our speaker for today, sharing his experiences, not just in all three of these things, but also his story on how he actually discovered his passion and continued in a career that has inspired millions. So without further ado, let's welcome onto our virtual stage, Reid Alexander. Hi there. Well, so- <laughs> Hello So how are you how are you so far? How's your morning? Like did we interrupt an important day for you? <laughs>
1: Not at all. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Harsha, for having me. It is a little bit after the Thanksgiving holiday and I was able to see some family today. And I'm here in Palm Beach, Florida, where I've been spending the holiday. So I know that we're in different parts of the world. But no, it's good here. And I'm absolutely delighted to be with you today on the show. Thank you for having me on.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. And you're someone who I think our audience is definitely familiar with. And you've been inspiring all of us since before, I think since we were kids. <laughs> and one of the things that I think like, like that I love the most about your journey and your story is that you started as a kid as well, like much younger than I think most of us did. So is it true that your acting career actually started when you were like eight years old?
1: that is true yes you have your facts correct i can confirm yeah when i was eight i was very young i was growing up in south florida my parents were lawyers so nothing to do with the entertainment industry but no, I, knew I, I yeah. yeah exactly but i knew that i wanted to be on a stage i always had a passion for doing school plays and i went to this school called pinecrest school in Boca Raton, and we had a really great drama program and you know it was just it really spoke to me i enjoyed it i felt like that was my calling and I convinced my parents to give me a chance, and they were kind enough to support me in that effort. And from age eight to age 18, or even 19, honestly, my freshman year in college, I was acting. So 11 years of my life. But yes, it did start when I was very, very young.
0: And I'm going to be honest, as someone who loved the drama program at my school as well, nobody called me for any additions, So I'm, I won't hold it against you. Oh. But how did you, how did you even get into like um, the whole industry at only eight years old? Was it like, I don't know, someone came for a play and said, this person is amazing. They're going to like win the next Oscar. We have to like have him on our show. Or was it something that you had to go out and find yourself?
1: Yeah, excellent question. And I wish that somebody had said that. It would have made my life much easier. No, nobody said that. Sadly, I'm still waiting for them to say that. No, it was something that I needed to go out and find for myself. You know, I was auditioning and volunteering to do the school plays at this Pinecrest school that I was telling you I attended at that age, but I wasn't really doing anything professional. And then at the recommendation of our drama coach, who just recognized that I had such a passion for acting and really could go far with this, I decided to do some research. I mean, bear in mind, I was eight years old It's a very like type A, you know, only child, but I decided to do some research on to like talent agents, you know, that represent actors. And I googled. I mean, I think we had Google back then. Gosh, this is probably this this is 18 years ago, almost two decades ago. That's insane to me. some of your viewers might just have been born around the time that this was happening, and uh, I did some research into talent agents. And you know, because my mom had been an attorney and worked from home a lot in the afternoons, I would hear her on the phone, so I knew kind of what to say on like a phone call or a professional voicemail. And I think I just kept it really high level. I just said, you know, I um. I'm looking for representation, please give me a call back. I didn't tell them that I was eight, didn't tell them who I was or why Why otherwise I was calling or what kind of projects I wanted to do. I just kept it vague. And then my mom came home from work one day and she heard on her voicemail uh, a lot of messages, a lot of return calls from these agents who said, we received your call and we understand you're looking for representation. Call us back and you know maybe send us a headshot and resume through the mail because back then 20 years ago, You know, people weren't using email in the same way to send along their CV or their headshot. So at that point, you know, I was eight years old, like brokering these relationships with these agents who had no idea who I was. So my parents decided to sit me down and we had a really serious conversation about my wanting to do this. And they said, look, if this is what you want to do, we will support it. Um, But they had a proviso, which was that if it ever stopped becoming really fun for me, I would get out of it. And I think that was a really healthy way to look at it. Um, Acting is competitive, just like professional sports or team sports that kids do, but there's a lot on the line. And it's such a public forum, uh, the entertainment industry that I think it's important to have checks and balances in place. And I would say to other parents and kids out there, considering doing what I did, if it stops becoming fun, maybe it's time to make a switch. And to be honest, that could be said of a lot of things but I wasn't a mid-career professional where it's harder to switch jobs. Luckily, I was eight years old at the time. So if it suddenly became not a great fit, it would be easy to get out of. Uh, So that was how we started it. All
0: right, that's absolutely insane. and. I, no, I'm just saying, like right oh, off the top.
1: I my know. Mind, Listen, I, I I don't disagree with that statement. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and but I love the way that that your parents like like receive the news, and I love that condition. And if it's not absolutely amazing and fun, stop doing it. I think that's amazing, and I'm, and I hope that I get a lot more voicemails from let from eight year olds who want to do amazing things. And I hope that eight year olds out there are motivated, or however old you are, to go out there and actually just take that first step. And you actually end up like pretty successful like like doing like like looking for representation. You started, I think even then like appearing on short films, TV movies, and you even landed a role on, I think a very popular show, Will and Grace. Yeah. And right. there you even were nominated for awards, you even received an award. All of this, I think, as a very young kid, how was it like going from a normal child? I'll use the word normal if you were at one point and not incredibly successful since then. But anyway, from a normal child to someone suddenly thrown into kind of like the spotlight and all of this fame and glory kind of like cropping up at at such a young age.
1: First of all, you're very kind, Harsha. Thank you. okay so what i would say in reaction to that is um the question is what's it like going from kind of a normal life to you know then being in the public eye um you know i guess i've been really lucky because everyone who's followed me is really sticking with me at this point in time for my current work and what i do as myself you know because i've been out of acting for some years and of course we'll talk about it and i returned this year to iCarly for the revival of the show uh but really aside from doing that i had You know, been very clear that I wanted to pursue a new path, which was journalism, and that's what I'm doing now. So I've been doing that for about five years and everybody who's stuck with me over that five years, I think is really stuck with me because they've been generous enough with their time to support my present work as a reporter. But I really had it good. I mean, back then we had a wonderful cast crew, great working environment, which is really half the battle. And like most of what you can ask for is just to have colleagues that you like and a work environment that you like. But I met so many viewers of our show out in the world when I would travel, when I would go to the Kids' Choice Awards, which I was, you know, fortunate to be nominated for. And I just felt like the show meant so much to so many people. You know, they would say to me, "Um, This show has changed our lives. This is a big refrain that my colleagues and I hear a lot, which is, you made our childhood or you changed our childhood. And I don't take that lightly. I think that's a very big honor and a very big compliment for people to say that. There's a lot of content out there in the world that people can watch. So the fact that they felt that connected to the content that we were creating, which we had a lot of fun doing, um, you know, it's a great gift. So, you know, I've never once regretted it. I'm so grateful that I'm here. I'm so grateful that I had the push of that platform and now we'll see what I sort of end up heading toward next. But uh, but no, I, I've often thought about how lucky I am to have been selected to be on that show and how, I mean, it's changed almost every part of my life.
0: Very, very cool. And like, on the topic of your shows changing lives like i remember watching iCarly as a kid with my sister and um this is so embarrassing and please nobody ever check this out because uh, we we actually tried to make our own web series and our own website like, like, i'm sure you get like a billion kids who. Do that i want to see that <laughs> but, but like but the story is we we did that as children and like many years later, when we became entrepreneurs today, we actually have our own web series so that like, and, and like I actually do websites professionally with the startup that I run. And like, I just thought back like like a few days ago when, when I was thinking of iCarly and I was like, gosh, those seeds were planted from that one show that we used to watch. And it's in a way, without me even knowing, defined my whole career ever since then. And I still make references even when my website worked, when we do possible websites. I, I always say, I tried to make a website when I was a kid, and this was this, like, this, this, this kind of stuff. And I realized all of that actually came from my party. So uh, very embarrassing. Nobody ever Googled that up. But um, that's- I, I know what
1: things. I'm doing when we finish yeah, up no. this interview. I'm checking it out. <laughs> no, no what I, I would <laughs> say is, I think you're really onto something, which is the show, had tremendous success in the years that it was on the air and if you think about it it debuted in 2007 it's now 2021 that's 14 years ago which is mind blowing you Oh you're making
0: me feel oh gosh but okay
1: how do you think I feel um you know it's it's now been um about half of my life not quite cuz i'm going to be 27 in a few weeks when i'm 28 i guess that'll have been more half my life but the point being that um You know, the show I think was so successful because it was empowering to people, young people, in that they could have their own platform and their own voice. I mean, about Carly, Sam and Freddie went from anonymity, right? They were just kids in Seattle, really. I mean, in the show, not the actors. I mean, obviously they were out there doing things. I'm talking about the characters. Carly, Sam and Freddie were ordinary kids. And then they created this web show and suddenly they became a household name and had this big platform. So at that time, it was a really cutting edge idea. And I do think it said to a lot of young people, you can have a voice on your own. You can take it for yourself without it being given to you. And I would never compare a TV sitcom to social movements of a generation. But if you look at the social movements that have defined this generation of young people, they've been very much driven by active members of the Gen Z community who are speaking up and speaking out and saying they're gonna take back their own voice. And you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that might've been more difficult, but now it's easy to do by starting an online platform like the kids on iCarly did. And I also think the show was kind of ahead of its time because now think about what kids are doing. They're on TikTok, they're on Instagram. Really, no, I really mean this. Well, they're making video. You know, they're producing videos, they're producing content. Five years ago, it was YouTubers who had a web show. iCarly planted the flag first, right? It was like the game of capture the flag. They captured the flag first in the civic conversation around young people having a digital presence. And 14 years later, that's where the civic conversation is. Young people online creating their own presence on social media. So I do think that part of the success of the show was that we got there first. And yes, the writing was really sharp and the acting was good, but we also dominated the civic conversation in that day because prior to our show, I don't think the idea of kids having a web show was like a household concept. And then, you know, a few seasons in, it was.
0: You are absolutely right. And I think a lot of people who are using the, the online world is kind of like a platform for their own shows, for their own messages. Even this show, like oh gosh, inception moment, but like it. But I think all of it, like, was in a way, like, kind of, like reflective to the fact that we all grew up seeing that this was possible, and it was, and then yeah. that seed kind of got planted in all of us. That so you're a hundred percent right on that. You also during the time that you were on the show had your own platform, talking I think yeah. about healthy living um, or healthy and nutritious cooking as well. You have you're an author of a book you had um, a platform called cool rights as well so how did that come about and how did you even like kind of like meander into something that was your own something that you were passionate about and actually went on to be extremely successful i think even your book was um uh, like endorsed by uh, president clinton um it's gotten so much traction and i think it's definitely helped people think about um, things like, especially kids, like healthy food that they would have never thought of before. So how did that even begin? And were you also inspired by our Carly? i have got to ask, you know.
1: Uh, yes and no, that's a good question. I think I was in so far as I could have my own, you know, vehicle and platform, which was sort of the message of iCarly, but I was mostly doing it as a blogger and less so as like a videographer or having a video platform. I mean, we definitely did video and. But I ended up doing a lot, was mostly going on TV news shows during those years. So, you know, to give people context from 2009 to I guess 2014 or 15, about five or six years, I was very much in the food space. This is before I went into journalism, what I do now. So I guess I've had three chapters of my life. There was a big chapter dedicated to acting. And during the time I was acting, part of that was devoted to food and lifestyle. And then since then, um, it's been journalism. But what I would say is that, you know, I created this food platform, this food website, where I was sharing recipes. And originally, the reason it started was because I was living in California and I was going to online high school. And if I wasn't on set working with friends, I was usually home or just kind of hanging out with friends. But I'll be honest, like I had moved to LA. I didn't really have a huge life there in the beginning. It took time to get settled. So one of the things that I did, was to cook and um, I turned to food as a way to be in the kitchen make recipes you know be creative explore and um, I was I was probably 13 or 14 at the time when I was starting this so it was mostly my parents being taste testers but I always really liked cooking and when I had been in school I had watched the food Network just for entertainment and found it to be, like watching like friends on TV, you know, just close friends that were making delicious things I wanted to try. So I decided to spend more time tinkering in the kitchen. And the result was I started this website where I shared healthy recipes that I was creating, really clean, really nutritious, but they were easy and they were affordable. And the reason I started it was because it had helped me to kind of take control of what I was eating. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of other young people out there who could benefit from this kind of material. So I started this really simple blog. I mean, it was nothing fancy when I started, and it was like just recipes. And within weeks, it started getting so much attention. I was thinking, why? And I realized it's like with journalism, when a story really blows up that we produce on the site, you know, because I work for Insider now. Sometimes we have stories that are mega successful. What it means is we've tapped into something that is like going on in the civic conversation, something people are thinking about something they're talking about. We've identified an area of tension that's on their mind. And we've done our job as journalists, which is to be heat seekers and to figure out where's the heat and then go in there and write a story. So it was sort of a similar phenomenon with this food platform with Cool Bites. I think it blew up because people out there, it was at a time where it was the late 2000s and people recognized we had a big problem with childhood nutrition in this country and people needed resources where they could turn to as kids and parents to get healthy information, and what set my platform apart was it was from the perspective of a kid like them. So I'm happy to kind of tell you what happened next. But to summarize, I started this food blog, and it really, really worked, and uh, you know, it kept me busy for five years. It became like another career.
0: Okay, you can't just say I would love to tell you what happens next, and then not tell us what happened next because. <laughs> Um, and again, I think there's someone who probably should be split into three and have three separate interviews. But <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying it's like three very distinct careers. If, like, like did you just pull out of a hat the three most random things and said, you know what, I'm going to like use my life to connect these things. But anyway, um, absolutely amazing. And I think you definitely went on to have success as someone in this space of healthy nutrition as well, you were an ambassador for I think um, ben- the then First Lady Michelle Obama's um, program that actually um, emphasized or kind of like like brought awareness to this uh, topic as well. How is it like now doing something a little bit different? Um, as you kind of like got a little bit older, as you were starting to kind of like move into college and all of that, and, or at least high school in a way, and like um, now be someone who people looked up to and people looked to for, um, or Like not just on the show as like an actor, but as an activist. You know?
1: At that point when I was, you know, doing my food site. Yeah, no, excellent question. You're right. So I did partner with the Clinton Foundation and with the First Lady, Michelle Obama, who at the time was running her Let's Move campaign. And these organizations were really champions of healthy living for young people. And what happened next that I was sort of teasing was just, you know, because of the enthusiasm around the site. I started going on television all the time as me. You know, instead of going on as an actor playing Neville, it was really my first opportunity to do a lot of live television and news particularly. I was going on the news as myself. So I would go on CNN or the Today Show, BBC, uh, London Radio, where I went on to be a contributor, um, local news channels. I was in the newspaper, the Associated Press. I mean, I was constantly out there talking to reporters and sharing recipes and sharing healthy living advice and I was very proud to have done that. Uh, I did it for five years, I probably went on live television, you know, a hundred times and eventually became really comfortable in front of a camera as myself, whereas before I kind of had a shield. I was my character when I would go in front of the camera, it wasn't necessarily me. I was going on as a different person. But now I didn't have that shield. I was just going on and being vulnerable and talking about my own story. And I found it really connected with people. I heard from a lot of people who would write me, email me, young people particularly, that they were trying the recipes. It was really cool. It was like founding, it was probably the closest I've come to starting some sort of movement. Um, but I gave it my all. It was just my you know, everyday focus. I traveled this country. I spoke at schools. It was a terribly exciting time, and um, and then you know from there, I think I recognized that journalism was what I wanted to do. So we'll get into that. But to answer your question, I think there's a new responsibility that comes with being yourself. Um, you know, as an actor, we play parts that are written for us. So there's a huge element that we have to bring to the part, to bring the words off of the page and bring them to life. And we have to be able to partner. With the writers, because we also have a view on what we think the character can and should be. It doesn't mean that we're right. You know, the writers are going to ultimately make the decision. But we have a sense of I'm playing this person, I'm saying the words, I'm the closest person to this person because Neville is me, right? So I need to be able to speak up and say to my producers and say to my creator, you know, I think the part should be like this or I think that line is wrong. Like, let's tweak this a little bit because, you know, that's coming out of you, but you're still not yourself. You know, like people only see you playing the character. When you do become yourself, you know, there's a great sense of responsibility, I think, that comes with that, because people are now associating with you for you. And you do hope that you're putting out a positive message in the world. You know, we need more positive messaging going on. We need more responsible leadership. And I knew that young people would associate with the show and probably with me because i was talking about issues that were salient to them so i just really tried to put out the best material i could and exemplify what i thought was a good way of leadership and a good way of being for that generation and never take it for granted i would meet so many of them and i still do i meet so many viewers i mean you wouldn't believe and i just really try even though i'm in a new career entirely to be as grateful as i can be and to exemplify as good and trustworthy leadership as i can be Um, and hopefully be aspirational for people because there's so many people that I aspire to and that have been mentors to me and that I look up to. So because they exemplify those good values and I look up to them, I want to do the same for other people.
0: Absolutely phenomenal. And I'll get back to asking the question on journalism and I think the whole third chapter of your life shortly. But pausing here for a moment, I think there's one question that I really want to know because it shocked me very much, which is, how do you stay so humble and so grounded i mean like you like like you seem like an actual human person with a lot of like things that you want which which i feel sometimes we don't see when we when we see on tv we see people who are larger than life and then you actually have taken all of the success that you've had and use it as a platform for good for actually going out there and doing your part in changing the world and you do it with so much humility so much passion and I think that's something that anyone who in this generation who aspires to achieve something hopes to be able to do. But at the same time, we also see many people who burn out being in the public eye, or they don't actually uh, maybe have the right environment, or like they are unable to to kind of like keep their feet on the ground, or they get lost in themselves. And we see this in at a small scale on a day-to-day basis with many people struggling with mental health. We see this on a larger scale. And oh, yeah. you somehow navigated that amazingly and today give back to the community what's your secret in a sense
1: that is very nice of you to say thank you um well first of all i mean i truly appreciate what you're saying i think what i would say is what i do now is such a human job you know i as a journalist have had to take on the mantle of living a life where my function is to observe And to highlight by definition other people's stories. So my whole way of being is almost centered around what other people are doing, if that makes sense, and then finding what I think is salient. I mean there's a great deal of me involved in this equation because I'm choosing what I think is important to put in front of readers, but inherently I'm not writing a script or coming up with a world as I see it. My job is to immerse myself in other people's existences. So if I wasn't incredibly fascinated by what other people were doing, I'd probably not be very successful at what I do. So I think by definition, you need to go into that with a really like non-selfish mind, if that makes sense, you know, (laughs) because that's the whole job. Um, The other thing is, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in my life researching and writing about mental health. Uh, Right now I'm a Wall Street reporter, as you pointed out. But prior to that, I was covering mental health. I was on the mental health beat. And I spent a lot of time talking to mental health counselors, clinicians, uh, doing research, reading. I mean, I would read like uh, cognitive behavioral health manuals, dialectical behavioral health manuals. I'd watch videos because that's what I needed to do to be successful. And along the way, I really learned about the human psyche and kind of the psychological like mentality of a lot of people. And it made me certainly, I think, have a stronger emotional intelligence quotient, you know, EQ. Uh, but I would also say it made me more empathetic, and it made me realize how widespread mental health struggles are in our world. I apologize if I'm not sounding very, you know, polished with this because I'm—I guess I'm thinking it through as I as I talk to you. And this is really a very honest, sort of vulnerable answer here. But I think that my fascination with mental health it underpins almost everything for me. I mean, it was probably even very involved in what I was doing in food because I was trying to give people a lot of confidence and empowerment. And a great deal of that is derived from one's mental well-being and cognitive well-being. Um, So I guess as far as staying humble, it's just recognizing that nobody's better than anybody else. Um, I really do try to read as much as I can read and immerse myself in other people's lives and find the fascination in their life. And I also just have this ethos that, like, we're all learning. It's a big learning journey, you know, being on this planet. And journalism, I think, is such a celebration of that. Our job is to educate, it's to learn. I learn every day in this job. I think it's the celebration of the human spirit. So I guess I try and be as humble as possible because I feel like when you're not humble, you have sort of like a wall between you and you know, other people. And that wall impedes the transmission of information from them to you. I mean, certainly from you to them, but then you really can't learn anything because you're going in with an attitude that you don't have anything to learn from them. You're sort of above them. I actually go into the attitude in every situation because of what I do as a journalist where my life is centered around others, that there is something I can learn from every situation. And if I do that, it will really benefit me, whether it's in my journalism, in my personal life, in problem solving, in critical thinking, it should have a material benefit. So what's the point of not being humble? Because that's only gonna slow down what I wanna do, which is this learning. So I guess that's what I'd say. Does that make sense at all?
0: I think it makes absolutely like a lot of sense and i think that journalists or not it's something that we can all do and something that i think if we do in every aspect of our life it, i think it just brings up our well-being as well so
1: thank 100%, you for that. 100%. I, no, i agree with you i think everybody should be humble and i think everybody should spend some time asking themselves what they can do to benefit their community i really think that i mean i feel like my job is really a public service job as a journalist you know it, we're I really i mean i think we're trying to educate we're trying to provide information for the benefit of the ordinary public i spend so much time thinking about my readers and the people that i'm writing for and about are people who are in the investment banking world and i'm typically writing about younger people and they often don't have much agency or much of a voice. They're overlooked by management in their banks. They are written off as you know, just there to do work, like grunt work on deals. Investment banking, a lot of your viewers are probably gonna go into investment banking if they're at Wharton. And I met you know, a big constituency of Wharton students recently when I was had the privilege of going there who were gonna go into banking. And 50% of the Wharton undergrad population is going into banking. goes, it's true. No, really, and 30% goes into consulting. I mean, that is real data that I have. So the point is, a lot of these people early on in their careers, they don't really get any special attention. They're just kind of assigned to work on deals. My view is, like, I can use my platform to give them a voice and to give them agency and call out struggles they're going through or feature their stories. And it's the part of my job I enjoy the most is finding these hardworking kids and giving them a platform. And I think you have to go in with an open mind around humility to be doing that. And uh, and it's certainly they've taught me a lot. So, you know, I am so grateful that I'm here in this job because it's enriched my life in manifold ways.
0: And I guess on behalf of all Wharton undergrads and my fellow classmen you thank you and thank you for not only speaking to us and taking the time to constantly come and share with us but also for the work that you do in kind of like as you said 80% of people go into this industry or adjacent to that and I think that definitely your work in uncovering the culture that the kind of like behind the scenes of that is extremely important how did you discover this niche in journalism i know in the beginning of your journalism career you traveled around the world bbc london cnn hong kong um, the last we spoke you spent some time in southeast asia as well and you did this in kind of like the beginning part of your career how did you go about like entering journalism in the first place? Um, you spoke a little bit about why you started, and maybe you can build on that for us so that we can see how this whole career kind of like came to where you are today.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Probably the most natural place is if I take you back to my early days in the industry, and we can kind of work up to you know where I am now. Um, but I, when I was in college, I went to NYU when I Carly had finished, and during the first year, freshman year, I was still working for Nickelodeon a little bit because Sam and Kat, uh, which was the spinoff show with Ariana Grande and Jeanette McCurdy had started. And I was on that show. And then I was still out promoting my book. In fact, my book that you mentioned, the cookbook, <laughs> the book published the first day of my freshman year in college.
0: What? Okay, that is insane. But like,
1: how do I, don't
0: know, I don't know. going to college with that not being the most exciting thing in your day? <laughs>
1: It was nuts. I mean, it was kind of difficult because my first semester, I really wasn't there. I would try and go when I could, but luckily NYU was really flexible with me. Um, And I was able to travel widely in my first semester so that I could be on the book tour. And that was great. But what I would say was I, Really wanted to be a student and I wanted to be there because my high school years were done on the show and I was filming the show. So I wasn't really in a classroom with young people. I was with my classmates uh, who were on set, right? Like the other actors, we were all studying together and then we were castmates. But, you know, I didn't really have like a prom experience or a high school experience. So I thought, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to try and make this as normal an experience as possible. And journalism was my major. And I thought, you know, if I don't love this, because this is what I knew I'd wanted to do by watching the news. I would always been a news-obsessed like obsessed person. And remember, I was going on all of these news shows around journalists, and I thought they had the coolest job ever. So in high school, when I was meeting them all, I was like, that's the job I want. They get to meet fascinating people. They get to be at the center of news events. They're on the front lines of whatever's happening. Think about it. Journalism is like, this is not a great example. But bear with me here a little bit. If the world is like a party, and the reason I say it's not a great example is because unfortunately, there's a lot of struggle and strife in our world. This is not an equitable world. Tragically, it is not an easy world. A lot of people are marginalized. A lot of people right now are suffering in a terrible way. This pandemic has just, I think, shown how uh, inequitable the world really is. Um, So that's why I'm loathe to compare the world to a party bear with me here in a rudimentary way. If the world is like this big, busy party, because there is a lot of fascinating stuff going on, the journalist's job is to be at the center of the party, not to make it about them, but to be right there in the middle to observe all the cool stuff happening. And I thought that is the coolest job ever, because no matter what's happening, the journalist has to be on top of it. The journalist has to be there. The journalist has to be talking to the people who are in the center of the crowd and to me you know i was never looking for like a ton of attention but if i was able to have a public facing platform in journalism which i do it's a pretty public industry we're putting material out there for a huge number of people and i got to meet and talk to and spend time interfacing with information from very smart talented accomplished people i thought that's like the best job on the planet i have to have this job so i thought you know let me major in this at nyu and if it doesn't work out then I can always switch to screenwriting or acting or whatever because they had a great drama program. Meanwhile, it turns out I absolutely loved it. So by the end of my time at NYU, I had gone to CNN International in Hong Kong, as you pointed out, where I was a reporter. All throughout that time, I had been a contributing reporter to BBC Radio, uh, going from New York to London twice a year, and every week talking to my British colleagues on the BBC about US stories. So I was already in college starting to develop a little bit of a platform to tell stories. And then from CNN, spent some time in Asia. I really covered world news there. Then I went and joined uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal Digital Network, spent a year there covering millennial startups, so a lot of VC-backed startups and younger people who were starting their own businesses and i think it was through them that i actually developed a real fascination with mental health reporting because people don't realize but the entrepreneurship like world it's so interlaced with mental health because mental health becomes really fragile for a lot of people they're judging themselves based on the valuation their company gets or the amount of capital they're able to raise from investors and it sort of becomes a popularity contest and i thought gosh Of all the stories, those are the ones that I am actually most drawn to. So I spent a year covering mental health after that. And then at that point, I took a step back and I said, you know, I want to enhance my education. I went to Columbia University for my master's in journalism. And then last summer, I joined Insider. So I'll stop there. And (laughs) I know I've been talking a lot. And obviously, let you ask any questions that you feel like asking based on that. Um, You are in charge of this convo or i can no. tell you like why i chose covering wall street because i realized that that probably surprises a lot of people that i went from icarly to covering investment banking but i'll pause I, there
0: i mean when we hear the whole story it makes lots of sense but i can but like definitely i did a double take when i when i first saw <laughs> but anyway but I, I completely agree with what you said and I think it's, no I completely agree and like I specifically love the part you mentioned about mental health and entrepreneurship those are the two things that I personally am extremely passionate about that's yep. the reason I started my whole social enterprise because I felt like entrepreneurship is such an amazing vehicle to help people literally create something in you, create something that's out of the system do what they love but at the yep. same time there's, as you mentioned, the whole riddle of kind of like navigating that in a way that is that, that you don't just, I would say, like I like fall into these traps of like mental illnesses, but also how do you use it as a vehicle to enhance your mental wellness, and that's mm-hmm. like the whole thing that I do. And I, I just hearing someone else talk about it is extremely, extremely refreshing, and it's extremely, um, I think that just the power of journalism to kind of like bring attention to things that people feel are important and that maybe are overlooked by the vast majority. And on that topic, for my fellow friends at Penn, um, definitely Wall Street culture is something that also, I feel, falls in that category. Something that's so important, that is so overlooked, or, or people just don't even know about it, but is something that, if can be addressed, if, if people can take a look at it, it would help so many thousands of people, uh, and and would have a huge ripple effect as these people grow up in their careers. How did you, you mentioned you were at Columbia, which is similar to Penn in the sense that a lot of people, I feel, go into the the whole like track of the finance world and all of that. How did you kind of like um, yeah. recognize that this was an issue that you wanted to be at the center of it? This was something that was important to you to find out more about?
1: Like, yeah, yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, and you're right. Columbia sends a lot of people to Wall Street. And Ken, you know, the reason I was so enormously honored when I was asked to speak there by the Wharton Undergraduate Finance Club a couple of weeks ago is because Wharton is really seen as a beacon in my industry of thought leadership, of intelligence, of drive, ambition, training, really good training, and innovation. Wharton is is an engine for innovation. And when I was asked to speak there after covering financial services and I had interviewed executives and senior level people from the University of Pennsylvania who were involved with you know, financial services, recruiting, what have you. I realized that uh, it would be just a huge gift to have the chance to meet those students face-to-face that I was writing for, who will go on into the industry that I'm writing about. But the way that I came to covering financial services, I think it's important to say like, I didn't grow up you know, as like a stock market junkie or really even with a great deal of awareness about how finance worked. I didn't really have to, it wasn't my world. Like I was already set on my path in acting. I never thought I was gonna be a banker. Had I not, I often think about like, had I not gone into acting at all, you know, I grew up in Palm Beach, Florida. I went to a really, really competitive pressure cooker of an elementary school, that Pinecrest school that I told you about, which I loved. But sends a lot of people into financial services. A lot of my classmates, oh my yeah, a lot of my classmates from a young age that I still am friendly with and talk to are in finance. You know, so I had seen it, right? Like, and I just threw my parents as attorneys, we knew a lot of people in business. So I often wonder if I'd never gone into acting, would I have known about journalism? I hope I would have found it because. It's the vocation that I love the most. But had I not found it, would I have been a banker? Would I have been a lawyer? Like I think about this. I think we all think about this a little bit, like what my life would have been if I had gone a different path. Unfortunately, fortunately, I took this path because I'm pretty happy here. And I think that's the greatest measure of success. But I had gone to NYU, I had gone to Columbia, and I did have so many friends Who were going into finance. And I knew that I didn't want to cover acting. I think, like a lot of people might think, if I was a reporter and then I had been in popular culture and left pop culture behind, that maybe I would cover pop culture and then I would cover actors or cover directors. And I'll be honest, like, I do think that would be fun. You know, I think that would be an interesting career. I have friends that do that and they're very, very good friends of mine. But I always was drawn more to like hard news, you know, industry or breaking news or. To be honest, you know, war, like significant trauma I covered a lot. Not because I find that like a rush, because I, I find it so important that it's like it's something you have to do it. I, I feel like if I don't do it, who's gonna do it? So I covered the Parkland shooting a lot when I was at Columbia and before when I was at Dow Jones, uh, and there was a big movement that came out of that, the March for Our Lives movement to try and regulate gun control in America. So none of this was finance related, but when I was in graduate school, I had a chance to choose any topic I wanted to report on when I graduated because I was going to take a job out of Columbia in a newsroom somewhere. And I was able to choose where did I want to apply and what did I want that job to look like? And to me, the job that I was really drawn to was in digital writing. And Insider was clearly the company that I wanted to be at because I had read Insider. I was in Insider, this is so funny, (laughs) 10 years ago, they did a really awesome piece called like A Day in the Life. They still have that series, A Day in the Life of Just Whomever. And they did one on me, you know, so for the past decade, I've known about Insider and I've loved Insider, so I wanted to be there. And one of Insider's original sections was their finance section. And I thought it was really smart. And having so many friends that had gone onto Wall Street, I thought, you know, look, I love mental health reporting. And I actually really enjoy writing about early career people, like younger people. So I thought, nobody's really doing this. Nobody's covering mental health and young people in the industry that so many of my friends went to work for. And I would be at dinner with these friends of mine and I would li- listen to them talk about private equity and banking, and this is, I mean, five years ago in undergrad, maybe more, and I had no idea what they were saying. I did not understand what banking was. I didn't understand what private equity was, but it sounded cool. We had friends that went into <laughs> consulting and they would talk about like traveling for work. And I was like, that sounds really awesome. So when I had Patricia to what to cover, I thought maybe I should finally cover all of these lives of people that I know that I've been drawn to. And it was kind of like the thing that I told you about with NYU and journalism major. I took it on trial, and if I didn't like it, I could pivot. Meanwhile, I it wasn't in,
0: fun anymore. Pivot.
1: Yeah. 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 No, that's a lesson for people. Is and you know you need to make those decisions early. I don't think that people should be like walking out of an opportunity a few weeks in. And to be clear, like I never would have left Insider, but it would have been clear within three to six months if I was really jiving with the Wall Street beat or if it just wasn't for me. And if it wasn't for me which it, it certainly was which i think is a cool thing because growing up as a kid i never would have expected to do this and i actually love it um but if it wasn't for me like then you need to pivot right and you can't wait forever because then you get stuck in something and then you're just like resentful so i went in with an open mind but i thought you know if it's really not a fit, i love journalism i'll just choose a different topic well it turns out i found it fascinating because i found what i consider to be the mouth of the river in in global business, in global economics. Banking and Wall Street are connected to every part of our, these pillows on my couch for all I know are made by <laughs> a private equity firm or an investment firm that backed the pillow manufacturer that I cover the private equity firm. So the point is like it's connected to almost everything that goes on and we're not always cognizant of that. But I also thought there was a huge opportunity. There was a lot of white space so to speak to cover diverse cool young people Who were making a difference in financial services or their mental health related stories and put that on blast and say let's have a conversation about mental health and banking or about mental health and consulting and financial services and you know that's what i've been doing for 18 months and uh, it was a pretty special moment to come to wharton i will never forget this but i walked into the it was called the ambani auditorium in huntsman hall (laughs) and i was so thrilled to be there and i walked in and it was a pretty full room and people started applauding i mean it was just the most amazing thing and i thought how fortunate i was that my writing which i've been doing during covid from this living room in delray beach in palm beach county in florida has impacted people like that it was beyond anything i've done i mean it was just such an amazing feeling and I just realized the power of what we do, how it can impact people. And I was talking throughout the course of the night about stories that were sort of my greatest hits over the past year. And I talked about mental health stories. And I would say 75% of the questions that students asked about were mental health related in banking, which shows you the outlook and the attitude of other young people right now toward mental health. Yeah.
0: and. I think one of the things that I've learned at Penn is that um, yes, everyone is headed towards this industry, but as you mentioned, mental health is still something that I feel is very innate to almost every gen Z out there right now. And it's something that we want to champion we want for ourselves we want for others and i think for you coming like like into the space which i know so many people who are passionate about who, who love this but often nobody talks about the mental health in there i think that you really feel that niche of like what people want to know about at least at wharton and penn so thank you and like kind of like moving a little bit further into how you you kind of like positioned yourself as the two go person in this uh, like particular like topic in a way I think you chose like did you choose like from the list of the hardest things to write about and then just try to like combine like the, the which which combination looks like the toughest <laughs> Like, I will choose mental health and Wall Street and, like, the financial, like, like those are not easy topics. It requires a lot of research. And I've read some of your work. They're really, really well thought out. You're putting your best into it. You have, like, such an educated opinion on it. How do you even go about learning all of these things Um, as someone who did not particularly major in finance and all of that, and then, like, is someone who's so strong in this topic, in a sense, and today, actually, is so well-versed in it. I mean, as someone who came into pen not knowing anything about like finance and um, like investment banking world and then just from the conversations you have with people who are in those majors, I I sometimes lose my brains and feel like they're being melted and are slowly dripping off the floor. So like how did you go about like putting in like like really getting into the midst of this industry and that definitely does reflect in your work.
1: Well, I appreciate that so much. You know that's very, very kind of you to say so the first thing is I read like an inordinate amount. I just read film, so, I do. I read so much, I read every day. you know, I force myself to read even when I don't want to read because I'm it's that learning. I'm learning about not just a topic, but I also read to interrogate how journalists, tell stories how do they put it together how did they choose the intro what you know how do they frame this issue and i don't read always thinking everything i read is going to be great like i look at it and interrogate it and say what could have been done better or what are the holes in the way this person thought about something so i just read so much i read financial news i read mental health news i read general news i read magazine features i read books i read so much so you really need to just read So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is I watch videos. I watch a lot of I'm a very visual learner. So I watch a lot of videos on YouTube about financial concepts. When I started out covering finance, I really didn't have a huge like lexicon or vocabulary for a lot of the terms. So I would hear a term and think, okay, I need to understand what that is. And I would go and watch a video and read something and try and do both so I could fully understand it. And I would teach myself. And I'm sure, like, you know, people don't always use those tools in college, but I remember my undergrad days. We used videos, we read things, we read news articles. That's how you learn. So I'm trying to replicate that. So I read and I watch videos. I would say these are very difficult topics. You know, mental health in and of itself is a hard topic, but in some sense, it's everywhere because every person on the planet has their own mental health experience. Not everybody on the planet has a banking-related experience, so I need to find those constituencies where those experiences are. The other thing to remember is financial services is an industry that's very guarded. You know, if I were covering, you know, entertainers, they're somewhat more open. You know, to speaking to the press and telling their story. When I was covering entrepreneurs and like VC-backed millennial startups, those people were more open to talking about their story. Financial services. Not so. They're more guarded. You know, there's not a huge benefit to them all the time to be talking to the press. There can be, and I want them talking because I want to be able to provide insight and smart thought leadership to my readers. And that means going to the newsmakers in finance and asking them what's on their minds and then presenting that for others to benefit from. But, you know, they are traditionally somewhat more guarded. So you need to accept that going into it. Now you take two topics though financial services, which is guarded, and mental health, which is mired in stigma, unfortunately, put them together, that is really tough. That is really tough. Fortunately, my greatest ally has been young people, my sources. I make it an effort. I try and meet multiple new sources and new people every week in financial services. And young people are really like my beacons. They are the lanterns that light the way for me. I talk to them and I ask them, what issues matter to you? What do you think about the framing of this idea I have for a story? And they may say something interesting that they've seen or observed, and it informs my reporting, and it shapes and kind of provides parameters and guardrails for what my story ought to be based on what they're seeing and hearing. So I think the greatest teacher, aside from reading, aside from watching videos, aside from picking up books, and aside from thinking critically about this, is talking to sources and hearing from them and letting them guide me. And that's ultimately what journalism is. You should constantly be talking to sources and letting the reporting that you get by talking to people out in the world gather what I would call the storifying, which is putting the story together. Let let that guide it, you know? And, uh, and then I try and guide it by, just leaning into the recording. I try not to have too heavy of a hand of deciding if this is what the story should be. I would much rather sources tell me what the story should be. And then I'm just here to reflect what they're telling me in a smart, critically thought out way. So it's not easy, but it's so worth it. And when I hear the reaction that people have had to the mental health stories or to my stories about, you know, pay raises on Wall Street, which, by the way, like I covered aggressively this summer, a huge news cycle, which was all of the investment banks raising their base compensation. I don't see that as just a compensation story. I mean, of course, it's a financial like compensation story. I see it as a reaction to mental health issues within the banks and suffering and exhaustion and people quitting, which are driven by poor mental health, poor mental well-being. So I cover those stories in a similar way because I think they're inexorably linked. And uh, you know it seems to have had a broad appeal to a lot of people.
0: OK. All right. I'm absolutely, Like you put it in an incredible way. And I really think that those things that you outline again, it does not just go for journalism, does not just go for those trying to get into and learn about something. But I think it's something we can apply in everything that we're approaching in life, the getting, the information, the gathering, and the speaking to the people on the ground absolutely brilliantly set up. And unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our conversation. I, As I said, you you should be split into three people and allow like, me to interview each of the three. But unfortunately, <laughs> I have yet to invent that technology. But as we wind down our conversation today, maybe you can share with us one story or one, one experience in this whole in covering something that had an impact that even you didn't expect. And kind of leave us with how that impact has kind of like continued on um in the work that you do to inspire you to move forward.
1: Could I share two very quick ones that are No, no
0: okay, go ahead go
1: <laughs> ahead. two quick ones. So one of, March, one of them is from March. One of them is March, you know, a big topic in banking this year has been uh you know junior bankers and burnout, feeling burnt out during COVID, burnt out working from home and a document leaked from Goldman Sachs that was made by junior bankers there, blowing the whistle on burnout, and it was widely covered everywhere. Um, But we had covered it, you know, I think in a really smart way. And then I actually was able to uncover a second document that nobody else has obtained to my knowledge until this point in time. And I reported the second document, which established that burnout and mental health struggles were being felt by investment bankers in april last year so this document the first document that widely came to attention was made in february 2021 so february of this year but last year at the beginning of work from home this other document i obtained established that burnout was rife at the junior levels and i wrote that story and i just showed that you know senior investment bankers were aware for a year that uh there are people were suffering and I got so many calls from that story after I wrote. It was very hard to obtain that document. I have to say it was really, really tough uh, because it was like not publicly out there. We had to, you know, have it sent to us and then verify it. Um, but people called me. Somebody called me and said, "You're giving us hope." You know, who was an investment banker? Please don't stop reporting this, which I thought was so meaningful. And then a second story I did that I was really, you know, passionate about was really the intersection of mental health and banking because a former investment banker had left the Swiss bank Credit Suisse and he struck out on his own at age 32 to start a treatment center for people suffering from mental health illnesses and disorders with a focus on providing mental health care for young people in banking and financial services. And I thought that was brilliant, you know, and I wrote that story and kind of broke the news of what he was doing. And I got calls from people, my sources in banking, who told me about their mental health struggles that they would never talk about publicly, but told me. And that they had read the article and were so moved by it. And I realized like a huge part of what we do as journalists is just to remind people they're not alone in their experience. Like it's happening elsewhere. They're thinking something, they're feeling something, they're struggling with something. It's happening broadly. And writing that story about that investment banker striking out to start that mental health treatment center and seeing how many calls I got from other young people talking about their experience reminded me we made them feel that they were not alone. And that is a huge part of this job. So those are two stories that I'm, I mean, I'm proud of all my work. Like I really look back on it and feel very, very strongly about it, but those stand out to me.
0: Well, I can see why, and I can definitely, like un, like, like, get how amazing that must've been, not just for you to to receive those calls, but how therapeutic it must've been for those people to read like what you wrote and actually see, like some their their struggles reflected. So absolutely brilliant. and. To kind of like end off our session, one of the things, and my final question, promise, fingers crossed, um, but I think one of the things that is so fascinating about your journey is throughout your career, you seem to do three things, which I call the triple threat in any career. You achieve success, you're successful, but you also do what you love. And you you were very passionate about the things that you do. And at the same time, you have a huge impact on those around you. You actually change lives. For anyone at home, who whether they're an eight-year-old who wants to do something or a college student who's thinking about the whole world ahead of them and confused where to even start, what are your words of wisdom for us to navigate and figure out what we love doing and how do we achieve that triple threat in our life in a way? It
1: is achievable for everyone who is willing to shoulder all of the rejection And the reason is and really, and it's this is a big topic. The fact of the matter is success is like launching a rocket ship. It is. And it's so hard to overcome the pull of gravity and the weather and the winds, and there's a storm, and you know, there's an issue technically. What enables the rocket to get off the ground is the brilliance of science and innovation behind it and the willingness of people who are part of the flight crew and the technical team to wait it out for the right moment for liftoff and to keep pushing and not to let 10 aborted attempts deter them from pushing toward the one to fire the ignition and to punch it and turn on the engine. Success is like that nobody became successful overnight and if they did it probably won't last very long sustainable success comes from having the ability to take the chinks in the armor and to deal with rejection that is rife because most of us get rejected early on the rejection gets less the more you get higher into the atmosphere on your ship but when you're at those low levels and you're just starting your journey, there's a lot of rejection holding you down. And it's easy to feel like I don't have it in me to overcome the pull of gravity of this rejection. But if you keep pushing, if you ask yourself, is there one more thing I can try? I was told no by investors. I didn't get this job I wanted. I didn't have the opportunity to write a source because someone won't give me an interview, write a story because I can't get the interview. If you say, what's one other thing I can do right now to try? That doesn't work. What's one other thing I can do that doesn't work? What's one other thing I can do? Suddenly that works. I promise you that rocket ship for almost everybody makes it into the upper atmosphere. It might not blast out of the galaxy, but it certainly gives you enough success that you will look down from the stratosphere and see a beautiful view beneath you and say, look what I accomplished. I really made it into the stars. I reached the constellations. But that only comes from being willing to overcome the pull of gravity by being able to handle rejection and keep pushing forward and not just handle rejection and say they were wrong ask yourself i don't agree that they rejected me and that was the right decision but what can i learn from it because you will become a savvier pilot of your rocket ship by interrogating what you can learn from each experience and then readjusting your path of flight And that's how you'll reach the stratosphere. I I believe that in my core, it's always served me well. And I face plenty of setbacks. And then I say, what's one more thing I can do? What's one more thing I can do? And eventually something works. But you have to have the stamina to keep doing it. And you have to be willing to know that you're, like you need to also be looking down the road. There was an interesting quote in a movie I really like called Shang-Chi. I don't know if you saw the new movie Shang-Chi. It's an awesome movie. It's a really awesome movie, and you know the um, the other character I can't recall her name, who's played by Aquafina, who's just incredibly talented, is like learning to shoot bow and arrow. And this woman says to her, "If you aim at nothing, you hit nothing," and it's true. A lot of people are just kind of like wandering about, you know. You need to be aiming at something and know that many of your arrows won't hit. It's a similar principle with like the rocket. You need to be aiming for the stratosphere but also be willing to kind of be creative in how you get there but you need to be looking up so those are some things i would say and i think that is what will benefit people if they follow that advice
0: that was a beautiful analogy and i think listening to your whole journey listening to kind of like that to top it off you have definitely inspired me at the very least and i'm definitely sure our audience feels the same way so thank Thanks. you so much you you have been an absolute joy to talk to and this has honestly been one of my favorite conversations and my favorite interviews to date so thank you so much for being on the show and we really appreciate not just you being here but everything that you've done for the wharton community the Penn community as well and for the larger world and sharing these stories so i Thanks. hope you enjoyed today's conversation as well
1: I had a blast. I think you had amazing questions. Such a privilege to be asked to me on Changing Reality. And I'm a fan. I cannot wait to see whom you interview next. And you are a rock star. So thank you for the confidence in having me on today.
0: Well, thank you so much. And to our audience today, thank you guys for watching. This has been Changing Reality with the amazing Reid Alexander. And if you guys like today's show, remember we're on on Thursdays at 10 p.m. ET. Uh, and See you guys next time. So, this is Harsha signing off. Bye. <laughs> You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.